season This is your time to shine Get up and take your place and peace the way Hallelujah. As I mentioned earlier, we've got Ask Pastor this morning. Um, you guys have put in a lot of a lot of questions, some really cool questions, some funny ones, some difficult ones. And I'm just going to be taking them, uh, I'll take them in order. There are some tough ones that I've left till next week, you know. <laughs> no, there's some tough ones this week as well. So keep the questions coming. Um, it's always good to know what people are thinking and what, the question, what questions they have so we can answer them. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, um, I'm going to start with, with question one. And question one is, who should I concentrate on when I pray? The Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? They are all one, but still separate. And I need an understanding of how to pray. Who do I concentrate on? You know, the, the doctrine of, of the Trinity is a, is a mystery. But thank God, uh, because the mysteries of God are not hidden from us, they are hidden for us. First uh, John 5, 7 says that there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Son, or the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. But how does this impact our prayer life? Another thing I should mention is that some of these questions would need more focused than others. I'm going to try as much as possible to give you um, a concise but thorough, if that's not a contradiction, explanation. Um, so um, on prayer, what is prayer? You know, prayer is communion or fellowship with God. Prayer is communion or fellowship with God. And that communion involves an exchange of thoughts, ideas, feelings, and needs. Everyone see exchange. So prayer is meant to be a dialogue. You speak to God and he also communicates to you. Um, it must operate both ways. Now how do we pray effectively? Let us look at um, Luke chapter 11. We'll start from there this morning. Luke chapter 11 verse 1. Luke chapter 11 verse 1. It says, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Now, Jesus did not intend that this prayer is merely repeated. He gave us this prayer as a model or a pattern for prayer. Now we know this to be the case because Jesus himself said in, uh, in Matthew 6, 7 that don't think that you're going to be heard just by your vain repetitions. But we also know that Jesus at different occasions prayed all night. So we know that he must have done more than just saying our Father who art, who art in heaven. Otherwise he would have just kept 
repeating himself. Everybody here. Okay? But this prayer, or our father prayer, is really a model or a pattern of prayer. He begins by saying, when you pray, pray our father in heaven. So, our prayer is primarily to the father. To the father. But let us spend some time examining the pattern or the model um, that Jesus set out for effective prayer. He begins by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the protocol into the presence of God really begins with thanksgiving, praise and worship. Acknowledging who he is. So true prayer begins with an acknowledgement of who God is. You know, the Bible says in the, in the book of Psalm um, 100 verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, what is thanksgiving? You can't thank God without your memory getting involved. Yeah? Thanksgiving is not just saying, Lord, I thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. All right? It's not just a chant. Your memory has to be involved in thanksgiving because it's an expression of gratitude for his benefits. And that's why David said in Psalm 103, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not his benefits, for it's he that forgives all my iniquities and heals all my diseases. So he was uh, recounting the benefits of God. So when we come into the presence of God, we begin by recalling or recounting his benefits. We need to be a grateful people. Amen. How many of you here have something to be thankful to God for? All right. So he says, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Start with thanksgiving. Get into praise. Praise is a recognition of his virtues, of his character, his goodness, his mercy. The Bible says it's because of his mercies that we're not consumed. But they're renewed over us day after day. His loving kindness. And then worship. Worship is a, is a response to a revelation of his presence. That is where we extol his name and we bow before his presence. So effective prayer begins with recognition of who God is. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. But then he continues. He says, pray thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we as the body of Christ are the body of Christ. Meaning that God expresses himself through us. Your physical body is your primary mode of expression. You can't express yourself without your body. Have you recognized that yet? So God himself expresses himself in the earth through us, through his body. So he says, pray that the will of God, which is established in heaven, will be done in the earth. Pray out the plan of God for the earth. This is where we pray for the salvation of the lost. It is God's will that people don't perish but come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's will that, that there be peace in our land. He says, you pray about it. Yeah, The Bible says in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 it says first of all prayers supplications and intercessions be made for all men and those in authority your prayer for those in authority makes a difference this morning here um, at 10 o'clock we had our time of prayer and Solomon was leading it and he was leading us into prayer for our nation 
The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, yeah, and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and do what? And heal their land. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person makes much power available. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for the lost. We need to pray for our husbands. We need to pray for our wives. We need to pray for our children. So Jesus in establishing a pattern of prayer says, begin prayer not by requesting stuff for yourself, but begin prayer with gratitude for what God has done for you. Recount his benefits. Be a grateful person. And then begin to pray for others around you. Begin to pray for your church. Begin to pray for your leaders. And then he goes on and says, give us our daily bread. You know, I've come across so many denominations where they say, you know, it's wrong to ask God for your needs. If you're a true spiritual person, you don't pray for your needs. Well, that's not the Bible. Because Jesus said, pray that he will give you your daily bread. He says, ask God for your needs. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Uh, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. But if you're going to ask God for something, ask by faith. Amen. He says, ask God for your needs. Speak concerning your desires. God has given us freely all things to enjoy. You know, God is not intimidated by your requests. Anyone ever discovered that so far? God is not intimidated by your requests. As a matter of fact, even if your requests are not right, he's not intimidated by them. Through that request, he would, he would bring you into, um, into a knowledge of who he is. He will take you through a process that will educate you. I know God, God is such a beautiful person. Um, everybody that came to God with a request, God always expanded the request. Because every true desire in your heart actually comes from God. Notice I said true desire. Because the Bible says that God is constantly at work within you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yeah, that business idea you have that just wouldn't go away. Guess where it came from? It came from God. And if you continue pressing into him, he will take you through a process that would actually expand that desire and take it to the next level. Jabez was a person that said, God, I mean, he was not uh, ashamed to say, God, bless me indeed. Enlarge my coasts. Yeah, God was not intimidated by that desire. Abraham came to God and said, God, give me a child. This is my desire. And what did God do? He made him a father of many nations, didn't he? Yeah? God will expand your desire. He says, give us this day our daily bread. It's, it's right to pray concerning your desires, but pray by faith. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You know, prayer is a time... Where we release those that have offended us. You know, in Mark 11 verse 24, which is a great, a great uh, faith verse, it says, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive it and you will have it. But then it continues in verse 25 by saying, When you stand praying, forgive. You know, forgiveness doesn't need to take a long period of time. Yeah, you don't need... It, 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 you can forgive instantly. It might take a while for your emotions to catch up with what you've just done. Yeah? But forgiveness is a decision that you're not going to act from a place of hurt. 
And you know, a time of prayer is a great time to forgive because that is a time when we recognize how much God has forgiven us. And when we just think about how much God has forgiven us, it is easier to forgive other people. Uh, Are you with me? So he says, when you stand praying, that is a place of forgiveness. That is a place of releasing those who have offended you, just as God has released us from our offenses. Then he goes on by saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, I believe that in praying for for deliverance from evil, this is a place where we allow God to minister to us. Prayer is a a time of, of, uh, there is a time of quietness and listening to him for guidance. Prayer is not just about telling God your requests and leaving the time of prayer. No, it's a time where you listen to him and let him guide you. I find often in times of prayer as I spend time with God, when I just keep quiet and just just meditate on his presence, things come up in my heart. I think about people that I need to call. You know, particularly people in church. It just comes up in my heart. Man, I haven't seen this person for a while. I make a note. That's why I always go into my time of prayer with a notepad and pen. Because I believe that it's not just me, it's, just, it's not just about me telling God stuff. It's about me giving God the opportunity to speak to me. It's a time for ideas. It's a time for counsel. I say to people that if you come to the end of yourself or you come to the end of your ideas and you want divine inspiration, you need to spend time in prayer. For the Bible says, call upon me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know. He says, pray That he would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a time to be quiet and listen for guidance. It's a time to declare what the word of God has said concerning your life. And then it ends by saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So it begins with worship and it ends with worship. This is the pattern of prayer that Jesus has outlined for us. And as we, as, we, as we develop ourselves in this pattern, our prayer lives will expand and will become enriched. Jesus taught us to pray to the Father in His name, in the name of Jesus. Look at John chapter 16, verse 23. John 16, verse 23. It says, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus says, speak to the Father in my name. Go before him in my authority. This is very important. Because sometimes, you don't really feel like you are deserving of God's blessing. Yeah? But you don't go to God in your name. He says, go in my name. The Bible says that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. We're not going in our own authority. We're going by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus speaks concerning the peace between God and humanity. We're standing in the name of Jesus. We have access into his presence by the blood of Jesus. So we can stand not in our righteousness, but in his Righteousness. He says, pray to the Father in my name, in my authority. 
Now, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is the object of our prayer. We pray and make our request to the Father. The Son was the one that made the way plain, giving us access to the Father by, by virtue of His death, burial, and resurrection. Um, but what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our time of prayer? Look at John Chapter 14, just two chapters away um, from where we are at the moment. John 14, verse 16. Jesus, before he left the earth, made this statement. He said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Everyone say, another helper. That he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Everyone say, I will come to you. Jesus was saying, I'm leaving, but I'm going to pray the Father, and he will send you another helper. The, new, the King James says, another comforter. And the word comforter is the Greek word parakletos, which means somebody that is called alongside to help you. Okay? And, and, and the word another is significant, because in the Greek, there are two words translated another, there's one word, alos, which means another of the same kind. And there's another word, heteros, which is another of a different kind. You know, the English language is so narrow um, in terms of expression. I mean, if I had two pieces of fruit in my hand, let me use science illustration. And I, had, um, and I had an apple in my right hand and an orange in my left hand. If I said to you, I have one piece of fruit and another piece of fruit, you wouldn't be able to tell anything from that. You just know I have, I have two pieces of fruit. But in the Greek, um, it, it actually creates a distinction. Another of the same kind and another of a different kind. Now, Jesus said the Spirit of God is coming. He's another helper like me, but he's another of the same kind. Everybody here. So he was essentially saying, I'm leaving, but I'm coming. I am going, but I'm coming because the person that I am sending is exactly like me. He will do in my absence what I would have done in your presence. Uh, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Because the greatness of the Holy Spirit is that unlike Jesus who walked and was confined in a, in a physical body, the Holy Spirit now walks in us. Hallelujah. So Jesus has left, but he's now here. And he dwells in us. Another of the same kind. Now the Spirit of God is here to help us. The same relationship that Jesus had with his disciples is the kind of relationship you are meant to have the, with the Holy Spirit. He said, the Spirit of God will be exactly like me. He will teach you the word. He will guide you into all truth. He will show you things to come. He will help you in your time of prayer. And that's why in Romans 8, 26, he says, the Spirit himself helps us in our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Yeah, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the Spirit of God helps us to pray. And you know, and that's why um, in this church we talk a lot about being filled with the Holy Spirit and the evidence of speaking in tongues. There is some, there's some, there's some questions about that which I'll probably deal with uh, maybe later on t today or, or, or next week. Um, because, you know, our, our English language is so narrow and we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. You know, I remember many years ago, I woke up in the middle of the night. I had a, um, I had a, a, a very strong burden to pray. I didn't know what to pray about. I know the Lord was trying to, the Lord was trying to tell me to do something. I just woke up, I think it was about 3 a.m. in the morning. And this was years ago, I think it was about 20 years ago. 
And um, I just had this burden to pray. I didn't know what to pray about. I know, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Everyone say, thank God for the Holy Spirit. I know, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, without the ability to speak with other tongues, it's very difficult. Because what you then say in that scenario is, Lord, I don't know what it is you want me to pray about, but help me. Yeah? And sometimes these are life and death situations. You know, you can be, be simplistic in your view and say, well, God just take care of it. But he needs your help. Notice in, in, in establishing the pattern, he said, pray that the will of God be done in the earth as it is in heaven. He has his will in heaven, but his will is not always done in the earth. How many of you realize that? He needs our help. He needs our partnership. And that's why he has blessed us with this great benefit. And I began to pray in the spirit. I began to pray in the spirit. I think I prayed for about an hour. I know I believe that when you pray in tongues, when you pray in the Holy Spirit, the life of God, the power of God flows out of your heart into the earth. You know, the Bible says that um, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person makes much power, what? Available. Available for what? Available for God to do what he wants to do in the earth. He needs our prayer. And I began to pray. I think I prayed for about 40 minutes. And then the next morning, my sister called me. And she said, man, we had, we had, a, we had um, uh, something happen last night. And I said, what time? She told me the time was exactly the time I woke up in the night to pray. And this was a long time ago. And this was the time when, you know, thieves used to, thieves used to throw um, rims, you know, tire rims on the express. Yeah? And she said that they were traveling. My sister lived at um, in Satellite Town at the time. So they were going on the Isola Expressway. And she said her hus- herself and her husband had gone to visit someone and they were going back very late at night. And in the middle of the, I mean, as they were driving, thieves just threw a rim. And they said they mixed, missed it just by a fraction. I mean, of course, you know what happens. You know, you hit the rim, your, t- your car somersaults, and you get attacked. Yeah? And I believe, honestly, I believe that that was what the Lord had me pray about. Yeah? So the Spirit of God helps us. He's our helper to be effective in our time of prayer. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, these three are one, and they are vital in our time of prayer. Let's take advantage of everything God has made available to us. Okay, let's go to question number two. This is an interesting one. Um, it says, what does olive oil or anointing oil signify? Does it have to be olive oil? Okay, um, right. Does everyone understand the question? What does Olive oil or anointing oil signify. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 27. What does olive oil or anointing oil signify? 1 Samuel 9 27. It says, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, but you shall stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil. Everyone say a flask of oil. And poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Look at uh, 1 Samuel 16 verse 1. Every time God sent a prophet to anoint a king, he always went with a flask of oil. Notice it's a flask of oil. Not just a little dab of oil. But anyway, we're coming to this in a minute. 1 Samuel 16 verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil. Everyone say, fill your horn. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Look at verse 11. 
And Samuel said to Jesse, are, these, uh, are all the young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him um, in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord, everyone said the spirit of the Lord, came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Oil is a type or a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Oil is a type or a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now in the Old Testament, God gave them instructions on how to prepare this thing called the anointing oil. Look at Exodus chapter 30, verse 20, uh, 30, verse 22. It says, Moreover, the Lord said to Moses, Arise, Take of yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, um, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a, and a hin of olive oil. And he shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the act of, uh, or the art of the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it, you will anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of testimony, the table and all the utensils. Um, look at verse, verse 30. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. You see, in the Old Testament, only three people or three types of people um, had the benefit of the Spirit of God upon them. The kings, the priests, and the prophets. So whenever God called a king or called a priest, they would anoint or they would pour oil on them as a, as a symbol of the fact that the Spirit of God was going to rest upon them. Are you with me so far? Now the oil was made of sweet smelling uh, spices. Now the oil did not have any power in it. Are you with me? The oil was a type. Everyone say a type. A symbol of the Holy Spirit. As I pour this oil upon you, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. Are you with me? Now the oil was made of, it was made of olive oil, which signified the purity of the Holy Spirit. It was made of spices. You see, whenever somebody anointed you with oil, and they poured a vial of spicy oil on you, when you walk out of the room, guess what you'll be smelling of? Spices. You will not forget that something has happened. Are you with me? It was meant to mark your consciousness. Of the fact that something significant has happened in your life. Are you with me? Yeah? Now, this was a type. This was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. There is no power in the oil. Everyone say, there is no power in the oil. The oil is a type or a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're in the New Testament... And the Bible says that we're the circumcision that worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. You see, in the New Testament, we don't do anything as a mere symbol, as a mere symbolic thing. In the Old Testament, symbols were very important because it was, and, and keeping in line with the, the, the symbolic nature, because it was a type of something that was going to be fulfilled in the New Testament. But now we're in the New Testament, we don't need symbols anymore. Everybody here. So it doesn't really matter whether it's olive oil or granite oil. 
Yeah? The oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. If it's going to have significance, it needs to be sweet-smelling oil so that when you pour it, and it's not all this little dab that, that we do, that, that is not, that's missing the sim- symbolism of it because you're meant to, if you want to be anointed, we're meant to pour the oil on you. Are you with me? So that it will mark your consciousness that something has happened. That that is the, the, the import of it. That the, you know, this is what the word of God says about me. And this oil is a point of contact. It's a symbol of the truth of what God has said. Look at James chapter 5. Because in the New Testament, it does talk about oil. And I'm talking about this specifically because, you know, I know that um, there, there are certain quarters in our city and our country today where there's a lot of significance attached to oil and all these kind of things. Always remember that we have the circumcision that worship God in the spirit. It is not about the oil. It is not about whether it's unleavened bread or not. It is not about the kind of wine. There is a symbolism that we need to understand and put our faith in. It's not in the, it's not in the vehicle. Are you with me? It's in our faith in the word of God. We have the circumcision that worship God in the spirit and have no confidence in the flesh. I mean, I get asked a lot of questions about, you know, what do you think about the Sabbath day? You know, by the way, Sabbath is not Sunday. Sabbath is actually Saturday if you study it out. Alright? It, it is not about, every day should be a Sabbath. Every day should be dedicated to God. Are you with me? Let's not get caught up in all these forms that have no power in them. Understand the power behind the symbolism and put your faith in the word of God. Look at James chapter 5 verse 14. Hebrews James. James 5. I'll start from verse 13. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray for over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now you understand if we're going to do it properly. We've got to anoint you properly, right? Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith, everyone say the prayer of faith, shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What heals the sick is not the oil, it's the prayer of faith. Are you with me? It is the prayer of faith that heals the sick. The oil is just meant to mark their consciousness that when hands are laid on you in the name of Jesus, it is not empty hands. The Spirit of God moves with the Word of God and He brings to pass what God has promised. The prayer of faith will save the sick. In the book of Acts 19, there's a a, a verse there, verse 11, where the Bible says God did special miracles by the hand of Paul so that handkerchiefs were taken and aprons were taken from his person and when when they were put on the the bodies of those who were ill, um, um, they got healed and evil spirits left them. Uh, Are you with me? Now the power is not in the handkerchief. All right? The power is in the word of God. The Bible says hands will be laid. If I'm not able to lay hands on you because you're away, we'll lay hands on a handkerchief, we'll all pray on it, we'll send it to you. It's a point of contact. Everyone say the point of contact. For you to, to, to connect with what the word has said. There are people that are carrying handkerchiefs and, and, and bowing before them. Or putting them in, oh, this bishop anointed this handkerchief and they frame it. No, I kid you not. It's happening in our city. 
Alright? Let's not get caught up in these things. There is no power in the form. The power is in the word of God. Let's keep our faith in the word. Where the circumcision, uh, worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Amen. Okay. Question number three. It gets more interesting, by the way. Question three says, I need an experience that will make me know for certain, and not just by faith, that heaven is real and the Bible is real. What is the best way to go about it? I repeat the question. It says, I need an experience that will make me know for certain, and not just by faith, that heaven is real and the Bible is real. What's the best way to go about it? You know, I thought about this uh, quite a lot, actually. And I thought, you know, the best experience you could have is death. Because if, if you died today, you will know for certain. And you don't need faith. Yeah? You will know for certain that heaven is real. And the Bible is real. But unfortunately, it will be too late to do anything about it then. Okay, I know that's a little bit facetious. But um, the question actually reveals that we don't know what faith is. Because faith is not hope. Faith is not presumption. Faith is not probability. As a matter of fact, if you understand what faith is, you will know that the Bible does not advocate that you take a leap of faith. When you understand what faith is, all you need to do is take a step. You know, the Bible, speaking about faith and the importance of faith in Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. There are four verses in the Bible that actually say the same thing about faith. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 says the just shall live by his faith. Romans 1.17 says the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11 says the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38 says the just shall live by faith. One translation puts it this way. It says out of the soil of faith shall the just grow up into real life. So clearly, God, um, God um, puts a high premium on this thing called faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is not probability. Faith is not presumption. Faith is not hope. Faith is an action based on irrefutable evidence. Everyone say irrefutable evidence. Derived from God's word. Faith is an act based on irrefutable evidence based on the word of god you know look at second corinthians chapter four let me show you why faith is so important faith is not just some kind of you know oh, let's just have faith that's not faith that is hope for the most part look at second corinthians chapter four verse 17 paul is speaking here and he says a light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen. But at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. Everyone say temporary. And the things which are not seen are eternal. Everyone say eternal. The only reason why you and I are meant to walk by irrefutable evidence from God's word. Is because everything you experience is changeable. 
If you're looking for an experience as the proof that something is real, then you are basing your life on something that is changeable. Because everything you can see can change. Paul says the reason why we live this way is because we focus on the things that are real, that are not changeable, that are truth. And the word of God is irrefutable evidence concerning truth in our lives. No experience is as reliable as the word of God. No experience is as reliable as the word of God. Now, if you don't believe that the Bible is the word of God, you need to go do some research. Yeah, you need to go do some research. You need to go and study this Bible. How did the Bible come to be put together? Go and study, I mean, go and, go and look at, go and study the history of the Bible. You need to understand that this is the word of God. You need to understand this is inspired text. Because if indeed it is inspired text, then you can, you can rely on it. Everybody here. Because the evidence of God's word is more reliable than what you can see and feel. Look at what Peter had to say about this in Second Peter chapter 1. Faith is not a probability. It's not a hope. Your future destiny had better be based on something more than probability. The assurance of your eternal dwelling place with God had better be based on more than a, you know, more than a presumption. It's got to be based on irrefutable evidence. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. 2 Peter 1 16, look at this with me. Peter says, for we did not follow Cunningly devised fables. You know, when you, when, you, when you study the life of the apostles, you know that these were not, you know, people that were just into some kind of fad. You know, some weak-minded individuals that some little thing coming across their path will just, you know, sway them into believing some airy-fairy stuff. Peter said, we did not follow some kind of cunningly devised fables. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw this thing. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am very well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now Peter is speaking about transfiguration. Peter, James, and John went up the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And they saw the, the glory of Jesus radiate from his person. Heaven opened. They heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. They saw Moses and Elijah speaking to Jesus. He said, listen, we had an experience. Everybody here. But then look at what he goes on to say. It says, verse 19, and we have the prophetic word confirmed. The, New King, uh, the King James Version says, We have a more sure word of prophecy, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Knowing that first, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy neither came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter is saying that, you know what, we had an experience. You want an experience? We had an experience. But even beyond the experience, we have a more sure word. Everyone say a more sure word. He says beyond the experience, we have something even more reliable than the experience. We have the scriptures. 
We have the scriptures. Because no prophecy of scripture, no word of God came by the will of man. Men moved as they, as they were, uh, men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is inspired text by the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, we can rely more on the word than even on the experience. Yes, the experience confirmed the word. That is why we accept the experience. If the experience is out of line with the word of God, we reject the experience because the word of God is a more sure word. Faith is action based on irrefutable evidence from the word of God. The truth of the word is more reliable than any experience. Number four, is it possible to change the name of our church? Because it sounds like a worldly name. Is it possible to change the name of our church? Because it sounds like a worldly name. Now, I was going to say to the person, what would you like us to change it to? Some proposed Zion Church of Prophecy. (laughs) Well, (laughs) thought about this for a bit and I thought, you know what? We are in the world. I um, I don't want to have a religious sounding name. I actually think that we ought to break... Some of these religious norms anyway. Look at um, Matthew chapter 9. Very quickly. I thought that was quite a good question. Yeah? <laughs> Matthew chapter 9. I'll take uh, just one more after this and then, and then we'll close. Matthew chapter 9 verse 9. Jesus is speaking here. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. You know, tax men um, in Israel were, were, the, you know, were the most dubious people. They received taxes on behalf of the Romans. And um, they were fond of, you know, uh, uh, changing the books. You know, give me a bribe, I'll reduce your tax liability. Okay? So the tax men were one of the most notorious people. Now it happened as Jesus sat by the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, the religious people, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, I like a name that will create some controversy and... um, Attract people who are looking for Christ and not necessarily looking for religion. Everybody here. Uh, We need to be relevant. I believe that the the world ought to be the heart of the church. And we need to be as welcoming as as we can to people who are seeking Jesus. Because you and I, no matter how spiritual we are, um, are all forgiven sinners, aren't we? We all found Jesus at some point. So I quite like the name High Life Church. Now having said that, I didn't come up with the name as a result of any of these things. I wasn't thinking, you know, I want a controversial name. Um, uh, let me tell you how I, uh, we came by the name High Life Church. I was actually reading the Bible when I came up with the name. I was reading Matthew chapter 10. Look at Matthew ch- uh, chapter 10, verse 39. And I was actually reading the Amplified Bible um, at the time. But Matthew 10, 39 says, He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Like I, like I said, I was reading the Amplified Version. Uh, Have we got the Amplified Version there? Let's put it up. The Amplified Version puts it this way. It says, whoever finds his lower life 
will lose it, the higher life. And whoever loses his lower life on my account will find it, the higher life. And I had a revelation. I thought, wow, that's what we're about. We're about the higher life, aren't we? We're about losing the lower life so we can find the higher life. We're about living the higher life of God. And that's why uh, I call the church High Life Church. Amen. So given how I came by the name, I could say it was a God idea. Okay? So go ask God. Okay? Shandai. Hallelujah. Um, it's God's idea. So, uh, so go blame him. So High Life Church we are. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now the last question. Why is the church using a cinema? Do we have plans to build church somewhere? Well, we're using a cinema at the moment because it's the most convenient and comfortable place to meet. I quite like the fact that um, we're meeting in a premier location in Lagos. Uh, everyone knows where the Palms is. Um, you know, and um, um, you know, it's always very easy to describe uh, where we are because everyone knows the Palms. So I think it's convenient and comfortable. Uh, we're able to provide a safe environment, especially for the children, and an exciting environment for them. Uh, children's ministry is very important to us as a church. Um, yes, it is very expensive for us to be here. I make no, I, I make no um, secret of the fact that we pay about $6.5 million every year just to have church here. So it's an, exp- an expensive place to meet, um, not including Chocolat Royale, where we have the reception and News Cafe. Um, but for this stage of our development... It is ideal for us. Um, we are a young church. We've just been going for about 19 months. So our, our second anniversary is going to be in February. Um, so um, I feel that we should walk before we start running. Yeah. It is also said that, now responding to the question, do we have plans to build a church? Well, l- let's begin by getting everyone to give consistently to the church first. You know, it is said, there's a joke amongst pastors that... When you announce a building fund, half the church runs away until um, the, church, the building is built. <laughs> and then they come back. So we don't want to scare anyone. Um, we want to take our time. Um, and, and, you know, I, I believe that we're making very, very good uh, progress. We are growing as a church, so we're going to need a larger facility. But I believe we're going to start by having two services here first. And then we'll, we keep expanding. And, and I believe that the, um, the Lord will provide us um, an adequate venue to meet. But at every stage of our growth, we will always have facilities that are comfortable and best, best project our values of excellence as a church. And um, we'll always provide an, a, a facility where the children are excited about being there. And, and that is just what we believe we want to do as a church. Um, in terms of building a building, I quite like the idea of buying a building rather than building one. Um, if any of you have any buildings you'd like to donate to the church, we are open <laughs> to receiving buildings. Um, but also, um, even for larger facilities, we've been looking for larger facilities as well in the VI area. So if you are, if you are aware of any facilities, please um, let us know. Um, we're, we're very open to your ideas. You know, the Bible says that the yoke of God is easy and his burden is light. Yeah, he doesn't want to task his people. God has great plans for us, and he's going to provide for us. And thank God he has been providing up till this point, and he will continue to do that. Amen. So we meet in a, in a cinema because it's a great place to meet. Amen. Everyone like this facility? Yeah? Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to stop there. Um, next week, we have a lot more questions. Uh, there's a, a big divorce and remarriage question that I'm going to deal with next week. 
Uh, there's the big M question, the masturbation question. That's going to be dealt with. So it's going to be um, over 18 next week. So if you have any uh, younger children in here, make sure they're in children's church next week. Um, a lot of questions that are coming up, which we're going to deal with. You know, the Word of God has got counsel for us um, and wisdom for us. And we shouldn't draw back from any of these, um, any of these questions. So um, the box is right on, on my right, your left. If you have more questions, put them in there, and uh, we'll continue next week, and we may actually continue till the 4th of September. We might have it for two more weeks, depending on how your questions keep coming in. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. How many of you enjoyed the service this morning? Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank God for His Word. Thank God for the wisdom in the Word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's pray. Um, you know, I don't know if there's anyone here. I mentioned about eternity and... Um, um, and, and knowing God and, and being connected with Him. I don't know if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice. We trust you have been blessed today by the ministry of God's Word. As you obey the Word, it will become life and health to all your flesh. For more information about the products and services of High Life Church or Carlton Williams Ministries, check out our websites at highlifechurch.com and carltonwilliams.com or call us on 0700-HIGH-LIFE. Yeah, yeah.